something you often hear from those who are critical of Christianity is the idea that God changed. In the Old Testament, God was angry and he was just looking to an opportunity to judge people and lay the hammer down upon them. And he promoted a salvation based upon works, right? So long as you did your do's and didn't do your don'ts and made the sacrifices, and that God was okay. Um, and he was satisfied and appeased, but when you didn't do them, then he brought his wrath upon you. Then they say when you jump to the New Testament, everything changes. Suddenly there is a, a God of love who offers grace and mercy to us and wants us to love him and love one another. Uh, and salvation is no longer based upon our works, but it is based upon what someone else has done and it's salvation by grace. A question we have to answer, is that accurate? Did God change from Old to the New Testament? Is the Old Testament, was it a salvation based upon works? The New Testament based upon grace? Did God change His mind because maybe people, He just realized people weren't going to be able to do it. They just couldn't do all the do's. They just couldn't keep it. And so He came up with a different way. We're going to look and try to see what the Bible has to say about that tonight. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 11 is what we're going to read. We're going to focus most on 3 and 4. It's page 879 if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Scripture says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which you are also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen. Of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James and of all the apostles, and last of all of me, as one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believe. The title of the message tonight is The Everlasting Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Open our hearts and minds to your word tonight. Help us to be able to take it and apply it to our lives. Give us a confidence in the gospel that enables us. Lord, even if we aren't able to articulate a position to argue against those who might try to say God has changed, that you have changed, that, Lord, our minds would be confident in your word and what it says, that we would know that's not the case. That you are indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. That your plan for salvation has always remained exactly the same. Help us to be rooted and grounded in the gospel so that, Father, we would be able to be firmly planted in the spiritual battles we face. We could be strong in you and the power of your might. And Lord, we could stand in the evil day, having done all to stand, but we would also be able and equipped to help others to be able to stand. God, we are surrounded in Gaiman with, a, with people who are lost and are separated from you. 
What they desperately need is Jesus. So we want to be rooted in the gospel enough that we can talk to them and we can share with them and we can help them come to know Christ as their Savior. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech to say what you once said. Uh, have your way in our hearts, our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Join be seated. So in verse 3 and 4, Paul explains Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. He says, according to Scripture. Right? So he died for our sins, according to Scripture. He rose from the dead, according to Scripture. Paul's point is the gospel, salvation through faith in Jesus, wasn't God's plan B. Right? The gospel, salvation through faith in Jesus, was always God's plan A. Now, we don't have time tonight to go and look at the book of Acts. But, but take some time. If you haven't, I don't know when your Bible reading is, but if you haven't read through Acts, when you get there, pay special attention to Paul's sermons. When Paul preaches to the Jews, Paul always starts his sermons to the Jews in the Old Testament. He talks about, here's what God said He was going to do. Here's what God said was going to happen. Here's the way God said it would be. Here's, who, here's what the Messiah, the Old Testament, here's what God said the Messiah would be like. And after laying that foundation of the Old Testament, Paul would then say the Messiah, that all of this was talking about, is Jesus. Right? It was a, a huge focus of his sermons to the Jewish people. He wanted the Jews to know they weren't preaching a new God. He wanted the Jews to know that their unchanging God of the Old Testament wasn't bipolar and hadn't changed now. He wanted them to understand what God was doing in and through Jesus was simply a fulfillment of what God had always said He was going to do. Nothing had changed. Just everything they had hoped for, everything God had promised was now coming to pass and it was coming to pass in the person of Jesus. So what I want to do tonight is I want to give us two, two truths, two points on the idea the gospel is the everlasting gospel and that Jesus was always God's plan. The first is very explicit what we see here. The other, I believe, is implicit, but it's going to be helpful to us in our lives just in general. So, point one, Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus said, He did not come to do away with the law, but to what? To fulfill it. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. He, he taught this about Himself. This was in my Bible reading just this week. The Gospel of Luke, Jesus has ridden, risen. Some disciples are on the road to Emmaus and He meets them. They are prevented from recognizing Jesus and they're talking about what happens. And they're just, they don't understand. Kind of is what's going on. The Messiah was supposed to come. We kind of thought this Jesus might have been, but he died. And now some women said the tomb was empty. And some others from our group went there and said it was as the women had said. And Jesus says to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Right? So he's grounding what he's talking about in the Old Testament. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scripture, the scriptures, the things that concerning himself. Right. So beginning at Moses. So that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Jesus begins there and then he begins to tell them, here's what the Bible says about the Messiah. Here's what it says in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then the prophets, what we would call Joshua and all of those, they would often be considered prophets because, or prophetic books because the prophets wrote them. And here's what the, this says about me and here's what this said about him and here's what this. And so he just basically walked them from Genesis to Malachi showing them what the Bible said, what Jesus did in order to fulfill that. Right? He taught. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Not only did he teach this, his apostles understood this, and they taught it as well. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he said that he was a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So, what did God promise afore or before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures? The gospel of God. What were the Holy Scriptures Paul is referring to? The Old Testament. Because the New Testament is actually in the process of being written at this time. So Paul was talking about the gospel was something that God talked about in the Old Testament. And it was concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's telling the Romans the same thing he told the people all throughout the book of Acts. The gospel I'm preaching to you is the gospel that was promised in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the gospel concealed. The New Testament is the gospel revealed. The New Testament, the message of Jesus, is the same good news God promised in the Old Testament. Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled Scripture. Right? Now there are... There is a, a long line, a long list of prophecies telling us about the coming Messiah. They start right away. And then all throughout the Old Testament, God gives us glimpses about what the Messiah would do and what he would be like. We, we don't have a time to do a long and drawn out study on something like that. It would be a good study. But we just have a few. I just want to point out a few that are especially relevant to a study in the gospel. First, the Bible says that Jesus would be born or the Messiah would be born the seed of a woman. Genesis 3.15. This was right away at the very beginning of the gospel. We're told or the beginning of the book. We're told that the Messiah would come. He would be born of a woman. Galatians then tells us. That when the time was at hand, the proper time, Jesus came forth, born of a woman, born under the law. He fulfilled that prophecy. Jesus, the Bible says the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Uh, Isaiah 7 and 14, one of the most familiar prophecies about Jesus, one that you almost always look at at Christmas time. And then Matthew 1 explicitly tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin, and in fact it references Isaiah 7 and 14 to say this was done to fulfill the prophecy. Isaiah 9 tells us the Messiah would provide light to the Gentiles, right? which would have been a, an amazing thing to know that, that God would send a light of His salvation to the Gentiles, meaning salvation would initially 
or eventually be for all people. Matthew 4, verses 12 through 16, mentions Jesus starts his ministry in the very region Isaiah 9 references and says this is done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. We, we did, I didn't reference it, but Jesus would later say in John chapter 3, he would say, if I be lifted up, I will draw who to myself? All people. So he was a fulfillment there. The Old Testament said the, the Messiah would have a ministry of miracles. He would cause the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. And then as John the Baptist had testified about Jesus, he was arrested. And things were not going for John the Baptist the way he thought they should have. So he sent messengers to Jesus to ask, are you the one or do we look for another? Jesus said, go back and tell John what you have seen. The blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, and the poor have the gospel proclaimed unto them. He was saying, I am fulfilling these messianic prophecies. The Old Testament said the Messiah would suffer, bleed, and die. We're actually going to look at this one because it deals most specifically with the gospel. So turn to Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Should be page 559 in a pew Bible. We won't look at this whole chapter in detail. We, again, we don't have time for that. But there's just a, a few, few points to mention. Let me read it. And then we'll look at some things. Isaiah 52 and 13 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and very high. Many were astonished at thee. His visage or his face his was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper at his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, 
And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So just a lot of things to see. Uh, verse 14. He will be beaten so severely. He will be unrecognizable. Uh, I, in chapter 53 verse 3. It says he would be despised and, and rejected by men. Verse 5, that he would be wounded and bruised and beaten. Verse 9, we were told he will die a criminal's death. He will make his grave with the wicked. Verse 10, we're told he would be crushed. Right? So all of this deals with the, the punishment, the suffering. Of course, Matthew 16 or 15, Mark 15, uh, and all the gospel cha- cha- uh, books give a chapter or so upon that, but I just used. Mark 15, but they all detail the suffering Jesus endured, the physical suffering. All of it very, very specific in what we see in Isaiah 53. Now, Isaiah also makes reference to the pain the Messiah is going to suffer is not for anything he has done wrong, right? In verse 4, he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows. Um, in, In verse 5, 6, and 8, He is punished for our sins. We have gone astray, and the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. Right, Verse 9, Though He made His grave with the wicked, He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in His mouth. So, so His punishment would not be for what He had done. It would be vicarious. It would be in place of another. But it wouldn't be without purpose. It wouldn't be without something as a result. Right? In verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Right? He has taken our iniquity away from us in verse 6. In verse 8, He has taken the punishment we have deserved so that we don't have to take it. In verse 10, He was bruised. And made an offering for our sin. In verse 11, others are going to be made righteous because of what the Messiah would do. So the suffering and the death of the coming Messiah was all a part of the plan to redeem. And it was very specifically fulfilled in Jesus. The Messiah would rise from the dead. Psalm 16.10 talks about that he would not leave that God would not leave his soul in hell or in the grave. Luke 24 of course all of the gospels carry an account of the tomb being emptied, but in Acts 2 in the sermon uh, on Pentecost Peter specifically mentions quotes uh, Psalm 16 and 10 saying that was in reference to the Messiah. But he said David said this, but David's dead. And his tomb is is right here among us. But David, being a prophet, was speaking about the coming Messiah. And then finally, the Messiah would make a new covenant between God and man. And Jeremiah speaks of a new covenant God would make. And that the old covenant would be passed away and a new covenant would come. Jesus, when he was doing the Lord's Supper... He talked about the blood and the body was a a new testament that he was making. Now, the word testament in the King James, it means covenant. 
Right? So the Old Testament is basically what we call our Old Testament. We could call that the Old Covenant. And the New Testament we could call the New Covenant. And that's what it's talking about. So Jesus died to make a new covenant with us. And Hebrews 8, 6-13 specifically references that the Old Covenant was done away with. And a new covenant was made through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I put this one last because the new covenant Jesus made was made through his death and through his resurrection. Now, there are many more prophecies Jesus fulfilled we could look at. But this is enough to give you a, a picture, an idea to show Jesus was always God's plan. What happened with Jesus, everything about his life, from him being born of a virgin to living a sinless life, to dying, being rejected, to dying, to rising again. None of that was incidental. None of that was accidental. None of that was God's plan B. Every part of that was God's plan A. So from the very moment humanity sinned, the plan, it wasn't for men to kill animals and atone for their own sin. It wasn't for man to keep the law and be good and be good enough. It was always for a Messiah to come. To suffer, to die, to rise again on the third day. This was always God's plan for the salvation of humanity. So Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. But He's also the point of Scripture. Jesus is the point of Scripture. Now this isn't as direct an application from 1 Corinthians 15 as the previous one. But I think it's an implicit and a legitimate application, especially in light of our focusing on the gospel. Jesus is the point of it all. Everything we have, Jesus is the point. Now, Jesus said this about himself. He says, you have not your word abiding in for you, for whom you have said you have not believed, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life. And these are they which testify of me. So the religious leaders made their boast about their knowledge of scripture. Theoretically, they devoted their lives to studying and obeying scripture. But despite their devotion, they were missing out on the biggest thing. It was Jesus. Right? And again, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. What he's saying is, your whole boast, everything you do, you're, you're, you're devoted to the, old, the law, the book. And yet, all of that is pointing to me. All of that is, is about me. I am the point of everything you're boasting and everything you claim to know. It is pointing to me, but you're resisting it. You're rejecting it. Right? That's the point. To, to lead people to Jesus. So that's what Jesus claimed about himself and his apostles. They understood this. Paul said, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise to salvation through faith in Jesus. When Paul said this to Timothy, again, there was no New Testament. There was no book of Romans. There was no gospel of Matthew remark written down. What Timothy had known from a child was the Old Testament. And it was the Old Testament which had prepared Timothy to receive Jesus by faith when he heard the gospel. 
all of Scripture points us to Jesus who gives you gives us salvation. So I want to give an example of how Scripture points us to Jesus, how Jesus is always the point. Right? And, and, and our example initially begins in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right? And then he, in the beginning, as he created everything, he created man and put him in the garden to tend in the keep. And, and in the garden is paradise. All of, of Adam's needs were met except his need for companionship. So God put Adam to sleep, took a rib from Adam and made a woman that he called Eve. And Adam and Eve lived in the garden with perfect communion with God, perfect relationship with one another. They had everything they ever needed in life. They had a purpose to tend and keep the garden. They had a perfect relationship with one another. Everything was the way God wanted the world to be. And it went on like that until Satan came and began to throw a monkey wrench in everything. Because God had just given them one rule. The one rule. Do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Located in the midst of the garden. So Satan came. And he deceived Eve. He began to tell her. Has God really said? You're not going to surely die. God knows that the day you eat. You'll be like God. Right? She, she cast doubt on his word. She contradicted God's word. And then she made it seem like God was keeping them from something good. Now, I don't have time to get into that, but, but just keep in mind. Anything in, in any day, our day or any day, that, that casts doubt on God's word, contradicts God's word, or tries to convince us God is keeping us from something good, that's not from God. Always that's from the enemy, but, but that's extra. That's not a part of the message tonight. They believed it. Eve believed. She took of the fruit and she ate. She then took it to Adam, convinced him, and he ate it as well. And from that moment, Adam and Eve, they died. They died spiritually. And their sin had far-reaching consequences. Every person ever born after them was born spiritually dead, separated from God, and resistant to the rule of God. Now, God could have left humanity in that State And been right to do so. Adam and Eve had sinned. Their children would be born with that same sinful nature. And they would sin themselves. So God could have justly left humanity in rebellion against Him. But God loves us. And God has better plans for man than for them to live in rebellion and die. And so He goes to them. And He calls them on the carpet about what they've done. And one by one they pass the buck. Adam, what have you done? The woman you gave me. Eve, what have you done? The serpent that's here. And so then God goes to the serpent and He says, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go. And Dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That, that last part, this is the very first promise of the gospel. The seed of a woman, which we saw Jesus fulfilled, would come. And the seed of the woman, Satan would bruise his heel, but this seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. 
He would destroy Satan's power in order to reconcile man with God. This is often called the Adamic Covenant. It's God's unconditional promise to to humanity in general. Adam in specific. To send a Savior to deliver. Well, how would God do this? How would God go about? Well, we don't have to wait long till we find the answer. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, to a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, Abraham's call is a significant point in Old Testament history. While all of God's promises to Abraham are huge, one specific one for us to consider tonight. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's quite a promise. Through one guy that God's calling and talking to, every family, every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue would be blessed through Abraham. How is that possible? How would every nation which ever existed, not just even not just the ones that existed then, but every nation that would ever rise, every family that would ever exist, how would they be blessed through Abraham? Scripture answers that question for us. Oh, that is what? You gotta be Well, it's Galatians three sixteen. Galatians three sixteen. I hope there's a spot for Galatians on the handout. There's a reason I write things and don't edit things. Every Sunday morning when we're doing the songs, I'm like, please let this be right. Please let this be right. Anyway, um, Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Right. So, so this promise to Abraham would be fulfilled in the seed, singular, of Abraham. Not not the nation as a whole, but to one individual descendant. And that is Christ. The way all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants is through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The point of God choosing Abraham and making a great nation through him was to show he is all powerful, he is all sovereign, and to fulfill his promise of sending a Savior. Jesus was the point of the call of Abraham. Jesus was the point of God giving Abraham a son. Jesus was the point of Isaac having a son named Jacob who would be renamed Israel. Jesus was the point of Jacob having 12 sons who would become 12 tribes. Jesus was the point of Joseph going into Egypt. Jesus was the point of Jacob's family going into Egypt. Jesus was the point of Israel thriving and growing in Egypt. Jesus was the point of Israel becoming a great nation. The ultimate purpose of everything God did in the Old Testament was to keep His promise of sending a Redeemer who came in the person of Jesus. Think about the narrow focus of the Old Testament. 
of all the people in the world at that time, why does Scripture focus on Abraham? Of all the nations of this time, why does Scripture focus on Israel? And of all the kings of Israel, why does Scripture place such a focus on David and his descendants? The opening words of our New Testament give us the answer. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the great theme of Scripture. He is the point and the purpose for it all. From start to finish, Scripture is about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points toward the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. The Gospels tell us about the coming Messiah, that He's come and His name is Jesus. And then everything from Acts to Jude tells us here is the response. Here's what it looks like for our lives now that the Messiah, Jesus, has come. And then Revelation reminds us He is coming again. Jesus is the point of all of it. From the beginning to the very end. So our key truth is Jesus, the gospel, always has been and always will be God's plan for salvation. God's plan for salvation has been the same since Genesis 3. And it will be the same until the events of Revelation 21. The new heaven and the new earth come down are fulfilled. Now, to be clear, just really clear. Scripture says Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So even before Genesis 3, Jesus was the plan. But the first revelation of this plan came in Genesis 3. Nothing changed. Ever. Nothing from the way God saved men in the Old Testament to the way He saves people now has changed. And nothing will ever change. This world goes on for 10,000 more years. Jesus will still be God's plan for salvation. Salvation will still come by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For us, what this means on a practical level, we can be absolutely confident in the gospel. We never have to wonder, has God changed his mind? Can people be saved another way? Is there anything other than Jesus that saves? The answer is no. There is one plan and it has always been the one plan and there is no plan B. So we confidently share the gospel. We know what we're saying. When we tell people, Jesus died for your sins and He rose again. And if you repent of your sins and you believe in Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. That is absolute truth. It was just as it's, it was as true today as it was when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 
And that will never change. We can be certain of that. And we must be. In a world where nobody knows anything, and it's very popular to say, well, I don't know, and well, that sounds arrogant. We, as people of the book, as gospel people, we must stand as lights and declare without wavering and without compromise. There is one message of salvation. There is one Savior who came. There is one hope for the world. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank you for your word, for the truth it reveals about the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior. We thank you that that message has come down through the ages and made it to Gaiman, to Pickett, to just everywhere in the world. And it will continue to go forth to the end of the age. Help us to be strong in the gospel, to be faithful and bold gospel proclaimers, to be absolutely certain that the message we have, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. Give us opportunities to share this message and let us be bold, tell people clearly who Jesus is and what He came to do. We ask this in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen.